So uh, I would just like to say, if anyone is ever bored, you don't have much going on in your life, uh, just tell Mike Bond you're willing to preach and uh, watch your week fill up. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting how that works. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to cover uh, a passage that is very familiar. Um, I, I, I think I'm a little bit crazy for going here, but uh, over a year ago, God laid this message on my heart, or this passage, that I need to bring it to this church. Uh, it, it's not really a, a, a message that you would think you would need to hear at Liberty Church, but God told me to bring it, so I'm going to bring it this morning. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 3. Uh, I guess I should say you're apt to turn, flip, whatever you do. You know, some of you folks are flippers, so. Uh, but go to the Word. We're going to go to John chapter 3, and this morning we're going to cover verses 1 through 16. And this is where angels dare to tread. Everybody knows this passage. Everybody's heard it preached many times. But God has laid some stuff on my heart. Um, you know, I, I've, uh, I've been going to church for over 60 years, and, and one thing I've noticed is you can never presume who is really trusting Christ and who isn't. Uh, you can look at people, you can see works, but you don't know what's going on in their heart. At the same time, I've seen a lot of the same people suddenly professing faith all the years, and then they turn away from the faith that they never had. And so I'm going to admit this morning, I want to be a forcing function. I want to force a decision. I want to force you to look at some things in your life. I may never get asked to stand up here again, but you know what? They made a mistake. They told me to do it, so, so, so here I am. And so today, the, the, the message is going to uh, uh, cover about uh, three questions. Two questions uh, Nicodemus asked, and then I'm going to throw the last question in myself. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm covering enough scripture here that somebody like Mike Bond or Justice or David Vaughn could spend months preaching over it. But I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to take off, I'm going to pull to about 40,000 feet and we're going to look down on this scripture and we're going to go through it and see what, uh, see what God is saying this morning. So in John chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So if we look at this, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus for one reason and one reason only. He's seen Jesus do what? Miracles, okay? This says signs, but if you look at what that science really means, it means a testing Miracles, okay? It's a testing, it's, it's a witness to something. So what is it a witness to? It's a witness that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, many people will come over the years saying they were Messiah. And basically, people have been looking for Messiah since the snake in the garden, right? They've been waiting for 1,500, 2,000 years or whatever for Messiah to come. Many people have come saying, hey, I'm Messiah. However, God gave some prophecies in the Old Testament. Okay? He said, you know, uh, Messiah would be born of a virgin. Uh, he'd be born in Bethlehem. He would be from the lineage of David of the tribe of Judah. Uh, the other things he said, he, he said, you will see the, uh, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk and the dead will rise again. But there were other signs too. There was a star, okay? There were, there were shepherds, there were angels. Wise men came from afar off to see Jesus. He went down to Egypt and came back up out of Egypt. All that was prophesied in the New Bible, uh, in the Old Testament. God is saying, this is what you're to look for. This is Messiah, okay? So Nicodemus being a Pharisee, so the Pharisees were, uh, they were students of the, of, the, of the law of the Old Testament. They studied the Old Testament, they took the laws that God gave, and they added a bunch of laws to them, but they knew the Old Testament, they knew the scriptures. And 
no doubt Nicodemus has seen Jesus, okay? In uh, John chapter 2, so we're early in Jesus' ministry in chapter 3. But in chapter 2, Jesus had turned the water into wine at the wedding in, in Canaan of Galilee. And then I think around verse 23, it said he went into Jerusalem for the Passover, and there he was working signs. And no doubt, Nicodemus had checked out Jesus, because he was a man of law, and he knew, hey, you know, he, uh, yeah, his parents were from, Beth, from uh, Nazareth, but he was born in, in uh, Bethlehem, and he was born of a virgin, and all this stuff. So something piqued Nicodemus' interest. And he came to Jesus and he says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay? So what's Jesus' response? Look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And what Jesus really said there, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So... <clears throat> Right here, we see two opposing views, okay? So Nicodemus is coming from a legalistic works point of view. You know, he's going to keep every jot and tittle of the law. And, and there's really n not a lot of spiritual to what he's doing. However, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm. We have two people on two different levels. Have you ever tried to communicate to someone who is not on the same level as you? Man, I, I got battle scars from work, okay? One of the first things I do when I brief is I get everybody on the same level. This is what this means, and this is what we're going to talk about it. And when I use this term, this is what I'm talking about, not what you're thinking, okay? So we have two people on two different levels. So Nicodemus comes making small talk, and all of a sudden Jesus wades off into born again and kingdom of God. I mean... Nicodemus is confused. Look at verse 4. This is our first question. Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So the first question is, How can one be born when he is old? Jesus was talking about spiritual birth, born from above. Nicodemus is thinking about, Man, I'm a grown man. How can I climb back, climb back into my mother's womb and be born again. So he's thinking the world, the physical, right? And we would agree with him. We can't climb back in our mother's womb and be born again. And so Nicodemus is totally, he's kind of, whoa, you know, I've I, I got a, this pitch came out of nowhere. I, I don't know what's going on here. But we're going to see Jesus do something. And Jesus says this time and time again. Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus knows Nicodemus. He knows his background. So Jesus is going to reach back into the Old Testament and he's going to pull out some things that Nicodemus no doubt knew about, but Nicodemus had never tied to a spiritual impact. And Jesus is going to explain this to Nicodemus, okay? So he goes into verse 5. Nicodemus says, you know, how can, I be, how can a man be born when he's old? So in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He pulls out two references here, water and the Spirit. Now, if you would go back into Leviticus, uh, whenever uh, the people of Israel came out of Egypt, they were wandering around in the desert. And finally, God said, okay, you're going to be out here several more years than what the original plan was because of your hardness of heart. So I want you to build a tabernacle, this fancy tent, okay? And this is where we will have priests from the tribe of Levi, from uh, descendants of Aaron. And they will, this is where I will come down and I will, you know, talk to men and we'll do all this stuff here. So one of the things they had to do is they had to purify the priest before the priest went into the tabernacle and later before the priest went into the temple. One of the first things they would do, they would pull the priest out and they would wash him with water. They would pour water over him, okay? So this was a symbolic of purification or symbolic of cleansing. Um, now, we're, we will turn to Ezekiel. So if you don't know where Ezekiel, Ezekiel is, look it up real quick. 
And by the way, we will, we will have two, uh, two separate verses we're going to look at in Ezekiel, so don't lose your place in Ezekiel because we will be going back there pretty quick. If you look at Ezekiel uh, chapter 20, uh, 36, excuse me, uh, verse, verse 25. So Ezekiel 36, 25 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So you see, this water he's talking about is a water that washes us clean from our sins, okay? It's clean water, and it cleanses us. Now look, who pours out that water? In verse 25, then who will sprinkle? God. He says, I will. This is a work of God. God does the sprinkling. God does the cleaning. Does this say that Melinda would sprinkle herself and Melinda would clean herself? No, I'm glad, I imagine Melinda's glad of that, right? This says, I will. God will do this work, okay? Washing, born of the water, is being washed clean of our sins. Um, I'm not going to turn there, but I'm going to read this from Ephesians. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he may sanctify her, listen to this, having cleansed her, by the washing of water and the word, that he might present to himself the church, us, us, we're the church, right? In all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's the picture of us, holy and blameless. Look around. We will be presented to God, holy and blameless, based on what God has done based on what Jesus said, uh, washing of the word, okay? Now, I'm, I'm going to hold Ezekiel and go back and talk about the other thing he said, born of the water and of the spirit in John chapter 3. If you look at that, spirit is capitalized, right? In, in John 3, 5, which means it's the Holy Spirit, born of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we go back to the Levitical priests, Part of the things the Levitical priest had to do in order to go into the temple, he first was washed with water, and then he put on all these fancy clothes. They had linen undergarments, they had overgarments, they had ephods, they had the Urim and Thummim. First thing I'm going to ask God, what's your Urim and Thummim? I've always wanted to know what that is. Okay? What's going on here? You know? And then, then the, the, the priest would stand there and they would pour holy oil over his head. And the oil would run down his head and would drip off his beard. There was a, a, an abundance of oil, okay? This is symbolic of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the man of God's choosing. God's choosing. The Holy Spirit being poured out on the man's choosing. Go back to Ezekiel 36. Verse 27 says, I will put my spirit, capital S in my Bible. I use New American Standard, by the way. Uh, Mike uses ESV, but I'm a New American Standard person. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And jump down to verse 29. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call you for the grain and multiply, and I will call for the grain and multiply it, and I will not bring a famine on you. So we see here, He's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on the people. So in Ezekiel 36, let's see, Nicodemus knew what Jesus was referring to. You may not. Ezekiel was written when Israel was in captivity in Babylon. They'd been in captivity for 70 years for abandoning God, which they did as soon as they got in the holy, into the uh, promised land. Okay, They'd been in captivity for 70 years. God's getting ready to rescue them. God is rescuing them, not because of what they've done or because they're good, but, but for his holy name, okay? So that's the context of what we're reading here. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. I will save you from my uncleanness. Now, once again, who's doing the work here? God's doing the work. We're not doing anything, are we? This rescuing, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit comes from God. 
So to kind of summarize verse 5, unless we're born of water and spirit, we cannot what? What does it say at the end of verse 5? Enter the kingdom of? Okay. You see, this entering the kingdom of God is a work of God. It's not something we do. It's not something we generate. It's a work of God. God does this work in us. But Jesus goes on to get more explanation in verse 6. I mean, he is, I'm sure Nicodemus' head is just reeling about this time. He just came to make chit-chat, and all of a sudden we're talking about born again. Now we're talking about the Holy Spirit and cleansing from sins, the kingdom of God. What's going on? Look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see, like begets like. Kind produces kind. Now, Margaret, I haven't had biology since 1976-77 when I was a freshman in college, okay? Things might have changed. I have not read a biology book lately. However, when I took biology, fish made fish, right? Oak trees made oak trees. You didn't have an acorn. By the way, it's an acorn where I'm from, not an acorn. But an acorn doesn't fall out of a tree, bury it in the ground, and then next spring pop up a fish, does it? It pops up a tree. Like begets like. That's what Jesus is saying here. In verse 6, he says, flesh produces flesh. Flesh can only produce flesh. And in the same way, only the Holy Spirit, because it's a capital S again, only the Holy Spirit can produce the Spirit. Flip over to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, When you were dead, does it say when you were weak? Does it say when you were sick? Does it say when you had little faith? No, it says when you were dead. When you were dead in your transgressions, in our sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. So we were dead in our transgressions and in our heart, our spirit. We're dead, okay? Then look what it says. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. You see... Before we come to Christ, before we trust Him, we can't trust Him because we are dead spiritually. Right? So, you know, they, they say the, uh, you know, three of the main things people seek is food, clothing, and shelter. Three, three of the basic necessities of life. But you know what? Dead people don't worry about food, they don't worry about clothing, and they don't worry about shelter. They're no longer in that realm. Okay? That is no longer important to them. They are, their flesh is dead to that. Okay? They don't come seeking food, clothing, and shelter. It's the same way with people. Before, they are, before they're washed with water, baptized with water, before they're baptized by the Holy Spirit, made alive by the Holy Spirit, they're dead. You see, the generation of your spiritual life by the Holy Spirit always precedes faith. It always precedes faith. There is no spontaneous generation of a spiritual life. Okay? It's not something we come up with. It's not something that happens. It's something God, by His design, does through the Holy Spirit. God does this for His own good pleasure and for His glory. You know, a lot of times we like to think God saves us because He wants us. No, the only reason God saves us is for Whatever reason, and I cannot imagine why, it brings him pleasure. Okay? It honors him to do that. So, bad news, folks. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about him. Okay? It's all about God. So, until we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit and made spiritually alive, we cannot, we will not, nor are we inclined to seek God. It's just not on our radar. That's not something we want to do. So, I have 
bad news for some of you who've been around for a while. Walking the aisle does nothing. Inviting Jesus in your heart is not where it's at. Okay? These don't save. Don't be fooled. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, listen, we're, we're going to look at verse 7 and 8 together. So at this point, Jesus is talking about, uh, you know, born of water and spirit, flesh is flesh, the spirit produces spirit. Now, 7, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Like I said, you know, I'm sure Nicodemus is wondering what's going on. And I'm sure Jesus, I'm not sure, Jesus picks up on it, okay? He says, don't be amazed. Amazed at what? Amazed at being born from above. You see, Jesus is challenging, uh, and I can't believe I'm going to use this term, he's challenging Nicodemus's paradigm. I hate that term. But he's challenging it, okay? Um, and he knows there has to be some confusion on Nicodemus's part. And then he goes into this whole thing about the wind. The wind? What are you talking about, the wind? It goes here, it goes there. But, you know, think about the wind. The wind's kind of mysterious, okay? You can't see it. I mean, you can feel it. You can sense it. You can see stuff swirling around. But it kind of happens. You can't control it. You can't say, no wind, we're not going to blow today, or I want you to blow from this direction, not that direction. Um, kind of does what it wants to do, right? Now, we, we, we do understand that the wind is you know, caused by you know, temperature differences and pressure differentials and things like that. But still, even when the wind blows, we don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. It's kind of goes, right? It's kind of kind of a mysterious thing. And Jesus compares this to the working of the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. It's something we can't see. It's something we, we can't control. Flip over to Romans uh, 16. We're going to look at a couple of verses. So Romans 16.25 says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So this is, this is Paul talking, okay? Listen to this. According to the revelation of the what? The mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. So this has been a mystery all through the Old Testament time. But then it says, but now. But now is manifested. That means it is made clear. It is, it is brought to light. Okay? But now is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, listen to this, according to the commandment of the eternal God. God gave a command. I'm ready for the mystery to be manifest, to be made known, okay? It's been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. And then if you would go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1.25. So once again, Paul is speaking. And Paul says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. And here's what I want you to pick up on. So that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. But... Another conjunction in there. But has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make it known. At this point, God willed to make known this mystery that Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus. This mystery that's like the wind compared to the wind. This mysterious working of the Holy Spirit. I want to read a quote from R.C. Sproul. Dr. Sproul said, The wind that blows... Excuse me. Like the wind that blows, the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration cannot finally be resisted or controlled. And like the wind that blows, you cannot see the Spirit as He regenerates a dead person or a dead sinner. Rather, you can see only the effects of regeneration, profession of faith, repentance, 
and evidence of a changed life. You see, working of the Holy Spirit is a mystery, um, but God has chosen to reveal it by his own will, for his own good pleasure, to bring glory to himself. So to kind of summarize what Jesus is saying here, that you must be, that to answer the question, uh, can a man be born when he is old? He says, you must be born of water, that means you must be cleansed from your sins, and the spirit, you must have a spiritual life to enter the kingdom of God. Number two, this is a work of God at his own choosing. It's God's work, it's not ours. And then three, there's a mystery about this that is being revealed. Now, he's laid all this on Nicodemus, right? So here we go. Let's go to verse 9 and let's see question number 2. Question number 2. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Uh, He's really perplexed. It doesn't make sense. This does not match up to what this man has been studying all his life. But you know what? I'm, I'm in Nicodemus' court. That is a good question. We need to take these type of questions and we need to address them in our lives. We need to wrestle with these things and we need to come to understanding. Has anybody here ever been uh, presented with something brand new and something kind of confusing and you want to know, man, how does this work? You ever, you ever been like that? So I'm gonna, I am going to tell a story on Sandy, and I didn't ask her permission, so I may need a couch tonight. <laughs> Over 25 years ago, we, uh, we had this little compassion girl uh, down in Peru. I think it's Lima, Peru. And uh, Sandy had a, a good friend that she went to college with, a guy she used to go on revivals with. Uh, Dan was a missionary in Lima, Peru. So we, we said, boy, we'd like to get a hold of Dan, have Dan go meet this little girl. And we sent some stuff down for her, which we were not supposed to do, but we did anyway, uh, found out later. And so uh, I don't know how, but w- we got Dan's email address. And I had my St. Charles County email. How many of y'all are old enough to remember the email you get from St. Charles County? Some of you are. Jake does. So anyway, we, we shot this email off to Dan, and a couple of days later, we got a response from him. And, and Sandy was just amazed. It's like, how, how does that work? Okay, I have a degree in electrical engineering. I don't know how it works. I, I know about packets and you know, and I said, well, I said, it's kind of like the phone number. You kind of dial it up, and it knows do the right things to go to a ring here instead of there. Yeah, yeah but how, how does it work? How does it know to get to him and get back to us? And I said, I don't know. It just works, okay? You, you know, don't be amazed. It, it, it's a good thing and it works. But you know what? It, it is a good thing to ask questions like this, okay? It's a good thing to ask questions about God, about, about the Bible, about our faith, about things we struggle with. We, we can't just stuff those down and pretend they don't exist. We need to face them, and we need to deal with them, okay? However, warning, you need to go to the Word to deal with them, okay? You can't approach them on your feelings. Man, don't get me started, okay? You can't approach on your feelings. Your feelings change daily, right? One day you feel one thing, the next day you don't. All right? Feelings change. You can't go by the world philosophy. You have to go to the scriptures. Use the scriptures, not your feelings, not the world's logic. And you know what? You may need help. You may need to go to someone in the church. You may need to go to one of the elders or the deacons or somebody else who's mature in the faith. Or maybe just somebody else in the church and you sit and muddle through it together. Okay? Now, there are two things about Nicodemus that we're going to look at in verses... uh, uh, 9 through about 12. The first thing is that Nicodemus is stuck on his man-centric point of view. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He, he's into legalism, okay? He's looking at thing from, things from man's points of view. Uh, he focused in on these signs that Jesus uh, uh, did, okay? And now he's hearing some new things that doesn't match his point of view. And you know what? Today, even yet, even already today, and maybe before I get through, you may hear something new you've never heard before. You may hear something from the Scripture that you're saying, oh man, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I, I don't know if that's right. 
So the question is, what are you going to do with this truth? What are you going to do with this truth? You see, there's this great dividing line out there. One side is man-centric. The other side is God-centric when it comes to reading the Bible. Okay? So how do you read and evaluate Scripture? Do you read in your current beliefs, your traditions, your thoughts, your feelings, or what the world is telling you? Or do you allow the Scripture to speak for itself and to use Scripture to interpret or understand other Scripture? You know, we need, we need to accept the Bible whether we like it or not, whether it matches our worldview or not. For example, I want to talk about attribute of God. If I say God is... Somebody? Huh? Holy. Holy. Merciful. Any others? Okay. So, I got out of this church what I expected to get. I expected the number one answer to be holy. It's the first one I heard back then. I heard some other good ones. If I would go out into the street and start talking to people, and I would say, God is what? What do you think they would say? Love. Love. Right? Love. That's the easy one. Right? Love is nice. Cozy like a fuzzy blanket. Comfortable, positive. Man, we've got that positive mental attitude, right? Everybody, everybody likes love. Every, everybody likes love, right? It makes people feel good. Love, love, love. Love, 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 love. However, if you go to the Scripture, that's not the type of love Scripture talks about. God is love. But we have to see the type of love God has in the Scripture. One of my favorite examples of this is the Bible says God is a jealous God. How many of us go around when we were, for those of us who are married, we're looking, okay, I want to find a spouse who's jealous. I want the most jealous spouse I can find. We're laughing. Why is that? Because the world has to find jealous, right? And justifiably, so I would agree with what the world says, jealous. Okay? The problem is, when we take the world's definition of jealous and we lay it on top of the Bible, and we start reading it, it's like, I don't want a God who's jealous. Right? I want a God who's love, 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 love. We like love, right? But God's a jealous God. But whenever you read what the Bible says about God's jealousy, God is jealous for his own honor, for his glory. But you know what? If we honor that and we follow him, we benefit from his jealousy. We benefit from his love. We benefit from his mercy, his grace. Every attribute about God would benefit us if we humble ourselves to God. So a jealous God protects his name and reputation. He doesn't want us chasing after other gods. That's how Israel got banished for 70 years to Babylon. As soon as they got in the Holy Land, out of the desert... They started intermingling and marrying with the people left in the land and chasing after their gods. They abandoned God. Okay? They abandoned God. They, they, they went away from Him. But we benefit whenever we worship the God of the Bible and see how, how He's revealed. So, we must understand the Bible from a God-centric point of view. Let the Bible define itself. Don't take your definitions. Don't take the world's definitions. Let the Bible... So, how do you view Scripture? Is it man-centric, or do you view it God-centric? Okay, verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You see... Nicodemus had a personal bias here, okay? We all have a personal bias. We all have preconceived ideas. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a student of the law. He was used to sacrificing bulls and lambs and goats and bringing, you know, grain and oil and and wine offerings, all this stuff, right? But he was also looking for Messiah who would be a military leader. That's what they thought was coming. They thought... This guy is going to come, and we're going to be able to kick Rome out of Palestine, out of, out of Israel, and we'll have our country back. 
He's focused on keeping the law. Jesus said in verse 11, you know, even if I told you things that we have seen and heard, you wouldn't believe it. If I tell you things I've seen and heard, you're not going to believe it. And then he says, you know, in verse 12, if I tell you heavenly things, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe anything I say. Um, So, what are you going to do? You know, he has this personal bias. What are you going to do? There was a scripture we covered in life group last time. Turn to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 16. It says, All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture. The pomegranates, the tenions, the porpoise cloth, all scripture, the begats, all scripture is inspired. That means God breathed, okay? And profitable. That means it benefits us. For what? For teaching? You learn stuff? For reproof. We talked about reproof. That means, hey, you're doing something wrong. This is wrong. For correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You see, we need to bring our personal biases under the teaching of the Scripture. It will teach, it will reprove, it will correct, and it will equip us, right? I think we all who come to know Christ, have a work to do. It says we're a body of Christ. Some are hands, some are noses, some are eyes, some are hair. All those body parts have functions. And I think everyone in the church has a function. You may say, well, you know, I can't do anything. Well, go to the scripture, because it says that you may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So use scripture to understand scripture. If you don't understand, if you don't like something, you have a problem with something in Scripture, ask for help, okay? It's a great discipling opportunity, and that's what we covered in the spring semester of Life Group. I should get bonus points from Mike for bringing in all this Life Group stuff, right? Okay, so here we go. Big crescendo, right? Verses 13 uh, through 16. So let's take 13 through 15 first. So no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Now, once again, Jesus goes to the Old Testament. And if you've not read the Old Testament, and probably most people here kind of knows what this is about, you're probably saying, wait a minute, we talk about wind blowing, now we're talking about snakes being lifted up, What is all this? What's going on? Well, let me tell you what. You may be confused what he's talking about. Nicodemus knows exactly what Jesus is talking about. You see, in Numbers, Israel was wandering around the desert, and they were whining and complaining. Amen, You know, manna, manna, manna. I'm tired of banana pudding and banana burgers and mashed bananas and, you know, know, and tired of quail. I'm tired, you know, blah, blah, blah. So God sent... Serpents, not just serpents, but fiery serpents. And when these serpents would bite the people, they would die, okay? Well, you don't have many fiery serpents running around in camp biting people and they're dying before you get your attention off your banana burgers, right? And so now they're saying, they realize, you know, we've sinned. And it says they repented and cried out to Moses, Moses, please talk to God to do something about these fiery serpents. So God goes talk to, uh, Moses talks to God. God says, tell you what, I want you to make a bronze serpent and I want you to put it on a standard, and I want you to raise it up in the camp. And tell the people, if you gaze up at that bronze serpent, you'll be saved from these snakes. You'll be saved from these snakes. You see, this was a foreshadow of the Messiah being lifted up on the cross. And, by the way, this is an excellent example of Scripture telling you what something in the Old Testament really referred to, really symbolized. 
Good example there, okay? So he goes on in verse 15. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Jesus is a source of eternal life, not the law, unlike what Nicodemus thinks. Okay, so here we go. The big verse, right? The one in the end zone of the football game. Some people get it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, a real preacher, unlike me, could spend months talking about this verse. They, They could plumb the depths of this verse and never, ever reach the bottom of this verse. However, even the youngest child here can grasp what this verse is saying to some degree. You know, the problem with this verse is it is so familiar to us. We blow it off so we can move on to the next thing. Boom, got it, okay? Check, got it, move on. Not so fast. Hold on a minute. Um, There's one little problem in this verse. It says that whoever believes in him, the word believe, The word believe, once again, kind of has a world meaning. And in this verse, it has a definite spiritual meaning, meaning, okay? So, at 325 today, the Dallas Cowboys are playing the New York Giants. The New York Giants are 0-4. Dallas is 1-3. I believe the Cowboys will win, okay? My belief is more of a wishful hope. I'm sorry, I happen to be a Cowboys fan, okay? Some of you don't care football, got it, okay? But there's kind of a wishful hope. I believe they're going to win, I'm not sure, it's something I want to happen, okay? That is not what we're talking about here, okay? Here, the word believe means you commit to something. It means it places supreme trust in something. There is a confident assurance We trust in Jesus, okay? This is something that's personal. It's not something that you can inherit from your parents. It's not something you get from your spouse. It's not something you get from your church affiliation or your church membership. This is something that you personally do that you trust in Jesus Christ. All right, question number three. I'm out of scripture, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop yet. Question number three, what about you? What are you believing or trusting in? Are you trusting in your works or your deeds? I do all this great stuff at church. Are you trusting in your parents' faith? I got my parents, man, they really believe this, and I go to church with them a lot. Are you trusting in your current church affiliation, your current church membership? If you are, these don't qualify. I want to tell you about one of the saddest experiences I had in my life. This happened uh, mid-80s, over 35 years ago. Uh, I was going to this church, and at this church, uh, when we had visitors, visitors would fill out a visitor's card and say, yeah, I would like somebody to visit me, or no, I won't. So on Monday night, we would go out to the people who wanted someone from the church to come visit. A lot of people want to, you know, find out more about the church, get to know some people, and so... Uh, I was with two other people, so we went to this couple's house, uh, lived over here in, uh, in uh, just over in uh, St. Peter's, and uh, knocked on the door, older couple, they invited us in, and one thing we would do when we went visiting, uh, there were usually three of us at a time, and so we would say, okay, you had the lead this time, you didn't want three people in there all, all of a sudden talking at once, so, so anyway, that night, um, I was kind of leading the discussion with this group, with, with this couple, really nice couple. They retired from out of state. They moved here to be close to their children, be close to their grandchildren. And so we, we kind of did some chit-chat. And so uh, at that point, one thing uh, I liked about this church we went, they, was, they were not just trying to get people to join the church. They wanted to know where people were spiritually and if they could help them. So I asked a couple of questions. A question. I said, you know, uh, if you were to die tonight, do you think you would go to heaven? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, definitely we'd go to heaven. I'm sitting there thinking, this is good, you know. 
So then I asked him, I said, okay, if you were to stand before God right now, and God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? Well, they both started talking at once. Oh, man, I'm a deacon. I taught Sunday school for X years. I was involved in choir. We did this. We were in the bus ministry. We rounded up kids. I mean, the complete works answer. They said nothing about their sin. They said nothing about Jesus, nothing about the cross, nothing about the blood. I, I was, for lack of a better word, I was flummoxed. I, I didn't know what to do. And so I was sitting there and I said, you know what? I've got to try to share the gospel with this couple. So I, I went in, you know, started, you know, talking about, you know, God and our sin and you know, God's attributes. And, and, and as I got into this, they grew increasingly more agitated and, and indignant at this whole thing about all the stuff they had done. And, and, and I saw we were doing like this, okay? And so I, I, I kind of wrapped it up real quick and tried to, you know, get cordial with them and invite them back to church. I, I don't know what happened to that couple. 35 years later, that still haunts me. So my question, what about you? What about you? I want you to be honest. Are you trusting in Jesus? Or are you trusting in your own works, in your own deeds? You know, knowing about Jesus won't cut it. Attending church won't cut it. Young people, your parents' faith won't cut it. It has to be your own faith. Have you placed your trust in Jesus? You see, Jesus has two roles, okay? First role here in verse 15 and 16, he came as the Savior, the innocent lamb, the sacrificial lamb to, 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 to take away the sins of the world, of those who would believe in him, okay? The second role he has is a judge. He will be a warrior lamb. He is called a lamb in the book of Revelation, but it's nothing like the lamb we see here. Okay, there, he's not going to need Peter to cut the guy's ear off whenever he comes back. He's going to be able to handle it himself, right? And when he comes back as, as, as the judge, he's going to execute God's wrath on those who have not trusted in him. And all through the Bible, it says, on that day, on that day, there will be that day, the heavens are split open, and Jesus will come down. And I don't care what you believe about eschatology. We all agree the heavens are going to split, and Jesus is going to come down. And on that day, it will be too late. So what about you? Where do you stand? How do you respond to Scripture? You know, I wish this sermon didn't apply to anybody at Liberty Church. I wish everybody here had trusted in Christ is walking with him. But probably that's not the case. And like I said, I've seen too many people over the years. I've seen pastors, church staff, deacons, men, women, youth, realize they've been trusting in the wrong thing for too many years and come and place their, their, their trust in Jesus Christ. I had a, in a church one time, our pastor came down one of our pastors, associate pastors, knelt down. He said, I've been living a sham all these years. Tonight, I'm placing my trust in Jesus Christ. At the same time, I've seen these same type people reject the faith that they had been professing for so many years, the faith they never had. They said it was all a sham. I did it to please my parents or, or a wife or a girlfriend or something like that. Okay? And I want to tell you, you need to get real about where you are. This is not something we can mess around with. You see, we have no guarantee that we'll be here next Sunday. There is no, there's no guarantee you'll have tomorrow. There's no guarantee you'll even make it home from church today. So I want you to get real. I want you to be honest. And I want you to quit playing games if you're playing games. You know what? If you have questions on your faith... If you have questions or doubts or unanswered uh, questions, you have problems with something in the Bible or problems with God, talk to somebody. Seek help. If you know you've not trusted Jesus, 
You need to deal with it today. Don't put it off. Psalm 95, 78 says, Today, today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, that verse is written to believers. Okay? If God is speaking to you about something today, something you need to do, deal with it today. Talk to somebody if you need to. Don't put it off. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You see, what we're talking about here has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. Young people, I want you to be honest with your parents. If you're struggling with something, you need to talk to them. Okay? If they can't help you, they can get you help. But one thing they can do is pray for you where you are, where you're struggling. And if you need to talk to somebody here, we have elders, we have deacons, uh, we have people here who will be willing to talk to you and pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, uh, we, we just lay out, uh, Lord, what you have uh, put out here. Father, we thank you that Nicodemus was open enough to seek Jesus. And we thank you these words were recorded. Father, I pray for each person here today that, uh, first of all, they've trusted you as Lord and Savior. Father, for those who realize they may not have, I pray that you would just speak to them. I pray, God, you would just draw them to, the, to you. Your Holy Spirit will give them spiritual life. You'll baptize them with water to cleanse them. Father, I pray that they would just confess you before men. And Father, I pray for those who are struggling in some aspect of their life, their faith, uh, something, whatever, God, that you would just give them the boldness to come forward and ask for help, Father. Lord, uh, we just thank you for this day. And Father, all these things we hold up in your blessed name. Amen.